Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, as always, alongside media mogul Grail Hallett, an OTB producer, and our very own Serie A specialist, Sam Griswold. Our guest today on OTB is Nigel Barker. Uh, Nigel is an internationally renowned photographer. He served uh, 17 seasons uh, and as a judge on the TV hit show America's Next Top Model. Grail, were you a contestant in that? I, 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 sure. I've never gotten over losing in the first round. <laughs> yeah, the Mickey Rooney line of men's. Yeah, no, I, I uh, was in the under 5'8 uh, class. <laughs> all right, well, America's Next Top Model aired in over 140 countries. Uh, and now he's on the face. Uh, he was on the face alongside Naomi Campbell. So I'm sure he's got some stories there. Boy. His latest show is Top Photographer uh, and gearing up for the second season. So, guys, uh, we get to talk football. Football with Nigel, is which is Ni- great. Is Naomi Campbell left-footed or right-footed? Maybe we need to find that out. Well, Grail, he is a, a Chelsea fan like you, and the uh, the only difference is that he actually grew up in Chelsea, unlike you growing up in Greenwich as a Chelsea fan. Um, but, uh, you know, let's not embarrass him. We'll talk about some – you guys all have soccer I, questions. I've, I've I, got, I have, I'll have some Chelsea questions. I have some model <laughs> questions. Some, of course some you do. Hot model questions. So the story is behind there. So, all right. So my, uh, Nigel's a Chelsea fan. Um, where it would be interesting to talk to him. A little different perspective here on Over the Ball today. But before we get going with uh, Nigel and our show rundown, guys, what are you over today on Over the Ball? Yeah, I'll jump Sam. in. Um, I didn't see all the Champions League action this week. I only saw the Bayern PSG game, but I'm I'm just over these top clubs like not defending anymore. I mean, no one plays defense. No one cares at all about defending. And I think everyone says, oh, what an amazing game, soccer in its purest form. I mean, sure, but defense is not, you know, the end of the world. Oh, man, you just, yeah. you know, because the Italians are so good at defending or they were classically. So uh, Baresi and all these guys. So I don't know. I disagree. I think in some ways you, you think about basketball, they change the rules to make it more offensive. You know, you can't you can't have a zone press anymore. You know, you got to go man to man and, and to, to sort of open things up for the game. I love uh, we here. We complain when they park the bus teams. So uh, I like when it's wide open. Back, yeah, I think there can be a middle ground. There's an interesting story by Jonathan Wilson in the Guardian asking, you know, is this what a Super League would really look like? Because if you had the 20 best teams in Europe all playing each other all the time, they would actually have to defend sometimes, yeah. opposed to just beating teams, you know, six nothing in the French League every week. But Sam, well, it was six nothing. One of the teams defended. Sam, if you look, if you look at all major sports they've all shifted to an offensive uh, style of play where defense is secondary. Baseball, football, basketball, it's all about scoring, mm. right? Think about it. I mean, defense is really taking a back seat. So, Wow, Sam, you're, you're, what, your over got shot down today. No, oh no, no, yeah, no, I mean, no, but, can... no, but, no, by the way, it wasn't <laughs> shot down. I'm just saying that that's – and maybe the trend shifts back and maybe the pendulum shifts back. So along those lines, Sam, somewhat related – I'm over keepers getting beaten at the near post. I'm like, that used to be back in the day. That used to be the scarlet letter. If a keeper got Tony Miola famously in the 94 world cup, got beaten near post. Okay. And he, he heard it from everybody. Now. I mean, Neuer got beaten on one. The first goal he gave up to Mbappe was a near post shot, which I thought he should have had in the second one. Again, he cut it against the grain, but yeah, it's just, it's very surprising. Next time we have Greg Kenny up, 
our goalkeeper specialists, I want to ask them about that because it's just happening more and more these days. It seems like keepers have more to worry about today, even and you know, not even just having to play with their feet now more. Well, and they're more. protecting uh, that that out, you know, that bending shot going right. kind of away from them so much that I think they're giving up more at the near post. But we'll have to bring in a real expert to dissect. Hey, that. so uh, all right, so Champions League, um, you guys watch it a little bit, and um, you know, Mbappe. Man, it's uh, he's really coming into his own, isn't he? He's. I just feel like um, that it's his team. I, I, you know, the Barca um, match matches, and then this the the two goals yesterday. Neymar came back from injury, so again, I'll give him a slight break, but he just looks kind of the shadow of who he was, and it's just going to be really interesting. You know, moving forward, they're going to need to lock in Mbappe because he's much younger. He's a local kid. He's you know. French French national team player and Neymar I just think is going to be the odd man out because well, look and, Neymar's been struggling for a while now yeah. I think with, even since the World Cup and I don't think he did very well with all the criticism he had had about you know rolling around and just the way he plays I think it it, uh, it invites getting whacked sometimes he just holds on to the ball tries to embarrass players I don't know it just got sort of tired and Bappe man he gets the ball it's all business it's unbelievable yeah. you know and, and remember too that Neymar the whole reason Neymar left Barca is because he wanted to be the number one guy and right. now he's at PSG and he's not really the number one guy so I just I, I think there's a very good chance they lock in Mbappe and Neymar moves on somewhere else all right so uh, U.S. men's national team players playing in Champions League it was Pulisic uh, he came out for the final 25 minutes uh, with their win against Chelsea, the 2-0 win there. And Giovanni Reina, uh, the final 27 minutes for Dortmund in the 2-1 loss uh, to Man City. But my concern is more about uh, Pulisic. It's, boy, uh, he's he's just getting injured a lot, those hamstrings. I think we have another Josie Altidore in our hands. Well, so um, in the, thoughts, in the, guys? Yeah, well, so in the weekend match, last weekend where Chelsea got beaten by West Bromwich, um, he came, Pulisic started and he came running out of the tunnel to start the second half and basically just pulled up. Yeah. And that was it. He was, you know, the plan was he was going to start the second half and he had to basically take himself out and they had to bring on, uh, I think Timo Werner came out at that point, but it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it's, but he, at least he got to play yesterday and he played, you know, 25 minutes. Um, but yeah, but that, guys, I mean, he's, he's a, playing less. Yeah, he's like, he's playing less and um, he's becoming less critical to Chelsea's success. So, look, we've all played with guys. I, I didn't pull muscles that often, but we always had a guy God, or two on our team. Guys. Yeah, who just always pull muscles. It's some certain players have a propensity to, to pull their muscles, uh, you yeah. know, to pull the muscles. So, um, this is a bummer, man, because look, you know, we remember with Josie, he, you know, was pulling muscles on that hamstring of his uh, at the least opportune time possible. It was terrible. So, uh, yeah. So let's hope uh, he heals well. This he's a young kid, but you know he's even like we've talked about his build. Um, you know, you talk about Mbappe, just the, the thickness around the legs yeah. and the ability to withstand tackles and uh, you know uh, and getting getting beat up a little bit. It just doesn't seem like uh, he's getting any bigger, Pulisic. You know, likewise. Yeah. So uh, Mbappe so. got knocked around yesterday. <laughs> Byron knocked him around. Right, right. Yeah. But there you got a body that can maybe take it a little better. Yeah. Um, so speaking of Americans abroad, Weston McKinney, guy, I like the story. He had to sit out for the Torino Juve match because of uh, he had hosted a party at his villa. We all should have villas, guys. Um, <laughs> what, what? How does that play, Sam, with the, the locals there? Yeah, well, pe people weren't 
too happy about this. And I mean, mostly rightly so. Apparently he hosted a dinner party with about 10 mm-hmm. or 20 people. The uh, the numbers range depending on who you talk to. Uh, and he got kind of called out by his neighbor who called the uh, police who came because they were breaking curfew, COVID rules, uh, et cetera. And uh, he, Dybala and uh, Arthur all had to sit out the game over the weekend. They all played as subs yesterday in the match. So you know, I don't think it was a, a really serious punishment, but um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are saying, you know, it's stupid and entitled and everything, but I, I, I'm going to take a different tack on this and say that I think it's really cool that he has settled into life this much in Turin, that he's having people over for dinner. As someone who's tried, uh, you know, to play soccer in Italy, I know how hard it can be as an outsider. It's probably a little different on Juve when you have a lot of international guys, but um. I'm going to give him, you know, a break on this one. Sam is taking a caring parent view. I know, I see that. But (laughs) so, Sam, was it a party or was it a dinner party? Well, that's the question. That you know, there's a lot of debate about, you know, the the dinner party. I wouldn't have a problem. No, but Italy's in lockdown. I mean, it's like you can't have a different set of rules. It's like what Kyle Walker was doing when. Yeah, it's more about the fact they were gathering with X (laughs) amount of people. Kyle Walker was with hookers. Yeah, McKenny. Was just eating dinner for God's sake. So big difference well, there. Well, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so, lesson, right. so, lesson uh, learned for Weston, I think. Well, but I like your point though, Sam, where you're saying, um, you know, he's he's fitting in because one thing Americans know how to do—that's party. That's how to have dinner <laughs> party. So, um, and Italy knows how to do that as well. But those guys are so famous in their town, you know. God, of course, they're going to get caught. It's like you know, you wonder once you're that level of uh, sort of uh, fame, you know, within your community, it's like you can't do anything without getting caught. It's part of the, the downside of being a celeb, so as you know, Grail, right in Greenwich. Yeah, yeah of course. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> all right. So, um, some new concussion rules. Did you guys read this? One of our sponsors, Soccer America, had a great article on that. What are you guys' thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I can just I'll just read right. this out for yeah. people who don't who don't know. But the rules um, are essentially that a concussion substitution can be made, and all U.S. leagues are going to adopt this for this season coming up. Uh, so a concussion substitution can be made immediately after a concussion concurs or is suspected or after an on-field assessment or off-field assessment. Player who has previously been assessed and returned to the field of play can also be replaced with a concussion substitute. So you get two. And if a team uses a substitute, uh, the opposing team will receive an additional substitution, which I thought was interesting, that can be used only after all of its five uh, substitutions have been made. So uh, that's a little wrinkle I didn't know yeah. about. But, um, yeah. but yeah, two per team per game. Um, I, I think it's cool. I still, I still have seen guys recently get concussed and continued playing, which yeah. is, which is very, uh, you know, concerning. Well, you, 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 you no. wonder how they get away with that. I mean, it happens on a national television program. And, I know, you know, Taylor Twelman talks about this all the time, even Project with crazy. the rules. Yeah. So, um, this is, these are good rules. I think, um, this is where the United States is ahead of everyone else with the concussion stuff, maybe because, NFL players receive one on every play, <laughs> but uh, well, but they had the sub rule over in Europe first, right? I mean, they they've been testing. They've been experimenting that. Yeah. In a few I mean, that's going to yeah. go. That, that's going to yeah. that's going to be mandated going into next season. All right. Then speaking of uh, the U.S. MLS season starts off uh, soon, so um, that's great. Soccer's back in the states domestically. We get to watch that, and you know, there's some money being thrown around here. Uh, Grail, talk about the the PayPal Park their deal. Yeah, well, I'm uh, I'm personally very happy about this because full disclosure, I'm I'm friends with Dan Schulman, who's the CEO of uh, PayPal. So I was delighted 
that they, they uh, should they be a sponsor of our show. Grill. Well, well, we'll work on that. I want to get Dan on the show first before he sponsors it. Right. Um, but yeah, it's a 10 year naming rights deal. Um, and it's, it's being re renamed. I think it was called earthquake stadium or something. And now it's going to be PayPal park. And, um, obviously their technology, uh, payments technology via PayPal, and they also own Venmo will be, uh, front and center to what they're doing there. They're going to give 250 seats away every game to, uh, un underserved members of the community. There's going to be a lot of in interaction with the local youth and, and nonprofits. So PayPal which is located two miles from the stadium and is a fixture in the San Jose business community is going to really do it the right way. And I, I, I just think it's a great brand for MLS to be aligning with. It's, you know, it's, oh, it's forward like... thinking. Everybody knows PayPal. It's not an obscure business. And, uh, and they're going to be using QR codes and stuff like that to do touch-free transactions within the stadium. Yeah. So it's going to be taking it to the, from a technology standpoint, we're going to be moving to another level, which I think is fantastic. And that's, uh, you know, every game I've gone to, every MLS game I've gone to, a lot of hipsters there, a lot of young hipsters, and that's the technology that they use. And that's where everything's headed. Yeah, ticketing-wise and, uh, and such. So, um, Sam, you know that. It's your generation of... Uh, of youngins <laughs> but wasn't yeah. it wasn't san jose wasn't it like avaya stadium or something it was uh it had a name before well maybe they had one and then because when i looked it up yesterday i think it said earthquake stadium or san jose but maybe they were they were probably just in between naming in between, rights yeah. deals which is why paypal was able to step in there that's so. you know and that that's like that was like newfound money at one point wasn't it great like people just suddenly like hey why don't we name the stadium and, and when what does it trace back to Who's well the it really started that? a lot of it started with soccer state like Allianz stadium i think in munich or i, I believe it's in Munich. you know it, it's it started it started going back probably 20 years maybe even more than that and then, you know, Shea Stadium became City Field. And then, you know, every stadium now, yeah. if you're not in the naming rights game, you're just losing out on revenue. That's and most of these of deals revenue. are, and, and this is what our friend John Christick, what his company Premier Partnerships does. They do naming rights deals for a lot of MLS teams. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of money. It's a lot All of right. money. So you it's mentioned great, uh, great exposure for the brand. You mentioned uh, Bayern, the Bundesliga. Uh, ESPN covered the game uh, where Bayern beat Leipzig. One nil. Um, so it was the battle of the one and twos, but they're seven points clear in the Bundesliga. Uh, but yeah, they're doing thought, this, doing this all without funny. Lewandowski. Well, yeah, and I thought of you, Flinny, because your favorite guy, Klinsman, was a uh, is an analyst. They bring him in via via uh, Skype or whatever technology they're using. And uh, I, I, he was apparently very, he's uh, not in California. No, anymore, I, yeah, right? I, um, maybe he is in California. He's got to be. I, I think. He's, I, yeah. Well, I think he's probably has places in Germany and in California. But uh, he was. He's very good. I, I like him. Uh, well, you know, this is the thing when yeah. you, you know, I mean, obviously, someone's sometimes not a good head very coach. Smart. Not a good coach, but uh, yeah. you know, good color analyst. Stick to what you're good at, I guess. So uh, being a player, and then because usually players are just okay sometimes in the booth, but. Um, but Klinsman's got a big name, so we'll we'll see what happens. And it's a good it's good production value. I've got to say, ESPN does a good job with it. Oh, good. All yeah. right, some positive words for for ESPN. Yes. Um. Our uh. Our used to be our broadcast partner. All right. So EPL, you guys, uh, we'll just cover that quickly. But uh, man, Man City just moving away from everybody. Well, they're marching. They're marching ever closer to the title, and uh, they beat uh, Leicester two 0 and it was just clinical and. Uh, that was that was the match, uh, Sam. Where I believe you and I both 
um, experienced euphoria watching that Kevin De Bruyne pass. So actually, I it's funny because you you brought that up before the show, but I am referring to his pass in the Champions League game. Okay, I, I didn't even see the game you're talking about. I'm okay, re- referring to the ball he played in the Champions League game that set yeah. up the second goal and has you're- me calling once again for soccer to start counting secondary assists. Got you. You're talking about the left-footed cross. Yes. That I think it was then knocked back by Gundogan, I believe. And then uh, uh, Foden ended yeah, up don't, scoring. Don't no, any, no, anyway, I mean, no, no. But so the pass that I was referring to in Leicester is he had just crossed over midfield and hit a ball through the seam that basically dissected two defenders who were totally outstretched right onto the foot of Sterling, who then just knocked it over and was going again. It's the thing about him. And by the way, he just re-upped. This is very big news. He just re-upped with City through 2025. So that's, I mean, he's the centerpiece of their team moving forward. But, you know, we all played the game. The the weighting of his passes is just sublime. It is. Yeah, I don't think it's taught here enough uh, with young players that no. I've worked with. Nobody quite understands. Like, you know, I, I passed it to him. It's like, no, when you move up a level, you have to pass it at a certain pace and in a certain position to a certain foot to give him room to call. You know, there's so much there that yeah. just a simple pass is not a simple pass. Um, and that's, you know, you're talking secondary tertiary sort of, you know, uh, finesse there so what's well, the vi- it's the vision first and this is very gretzky like too gretzky like i just like thought gretzky. of that yeah. you're you're passing it to where the player's going not where the player is and the thing is so de bruyne will make a passing and be like where's that going and then all of a sudden it, it shapes it's like yeah. it all just comes together it's just it's just incredible yeah so good stuff any comments on that uh sam uh, no just my secondary assist thing which i'm going to keep you know I like railing that idea, on sam, about by the way yeah yeah yeah, yeah. All right. So, and, and again, guys, we've, we've talked about this. Unfortunately, it comes up seemingly every week, but another racist event. Uh, Valencia player had to walk off the pitch following alleged abuse by, uh, what's the guy's name? Cadiz Juan Cala. It seems like you hit, you know, the, and the comments were directed at, a, you know, the French player, um, Diakabobi. Is that how you say his name? Diakabobi. Uh, but who's black? Uh, and it was in the La Liga match. So what I liked about it was the, pl- the whole team left the field. Yeah, so they all walked off, and then I think there was a break for about 20 minutes, um, and then Valencia was essentially told, if you don't come back, you're going to forfeit the match. So they did come back. Um, the player was subbed out. Um, uh, Diakabi was subbed out, and then eventually uh, Juan Cala, the guy accused of um, the racial abuse, was also subbed out later. Uh, the fallout so far has been that uh, Kala is saying he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't say anything offensive, um, and he's really doubled down on that. Um, so I, I don't know where this goes. Yeah, it's always here, a he said, he said situation. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of been you know waiting for this to happen, teams to abandon the pitch. It happened uh, in the PSG Champions League game with the third official incident. Um, now it happens again. Well, usually when one player hears it, when it's directed at a player, his teammates hear it as well, um, you know, when you're on the pitch. So, um, yeah, I mean, they'll probably do some sort of investigation. I don't know. Yeah, will being, they even? It, no, it's being investigated by the Spanish FA right now. Oh, boy, they'll get to the bottom of it. <laughs> God, it seems like things just, just go so away after a couple of weeks. It just it keeps is. going on and on and on. It's just like I, I, don't, I don't even know what the solution is other than raising it and making it a big deal every time it happens. 
All right. And then uh, other news, I thought this was interesting. Grail, I'm, I've got it queued up this weekend to watch the Pele documentary on Netflix. Did you already watch it? Yeah, I did. And uh, I, I highly recommend it. Um, there have been many Pele documentaries. So a lot of people will say, oh, my God, we need another Pele documentary. It was very, very educational for me. I thought I knew a lot about Pele. Um, the whole political backdrop of what was yeah. going on in Brazil. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With the dictatorship. And, um, you know, and, and kind of how that played into everything and the pressure that he and, the, and his teammates were under, especially going into 1970, um, because in 66 was looked at kind of a failure. That was where, when England won on their home turf and Brazil uh, weren't, you know, weren't able to capture their third in a row. And um, so just, yeah, just, and, and somewhat sad. I, I mean, I have to say, because Pele is now 80 years old and he's not the spry individual that he once was, but uh, right. also incredibly touching. And, and again, just a reminder, you know, I had just moved to England as a 10 year old in 1970. And that was my first exposure to soccer was that world cup. And just what a magical, I just thought that was a magical world cup, Mexico city, 1970. Oh, everything about it, the colors, the colors, just- yeah, the colors of colors. their kits and that yellow and, and the TV, very yellow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, uh, it was just fantastic. So anyway, and, and, and you know, thinking about like you just talking about the sadness of it in some ways with Pele, we always think about this creative genius, this you know, pretty, pretty greatest player ever. And uh, now here on the heels of a story about racism, I mean, back in 1976, I mean, what was racism like back then? Uh, and what was he? What was hurled at him? You know, um, must have been just. A, I don't know, just speaks to the character, the strength of his character, because he was always such a friendly, upbeat, wonderful person. Incredibly friendly. You know, as I've mentioned, I've had the privilege of meeting him a couple of times and he's the most gracious, unassuming guy in the world. And by the way, other than Muhammad Ali, the only guy that could have gone anywhere in the world at a certain time where he would be instantly recognizable. And didn't they didn't they stop a war? That was the rumor, a Nigerian war. They they called truce just because Pele was in the area. Yeah. So it's amazing that what you know this game, the influence it has. And he was a somewhat reluctant superstar. I mean, he's so humble. He came from such humble, uh, you know, humble beginnings and stuff. That I mean, that comes through too. Is just clearly his teammates loved him, and there's some great footage, current footage of all of them together now, talking about what they did together. And you know, that was a. 1970 was pretty special. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was when country was country when country wasn't cool, basically. And he scored the first goal in that final in that like jackknife header that's just a classic where he goes up and he pauses and he you know and he drills it down into the lower corner and it's just like a classic goal. Yeah, hang time and yes. oh man, he's way up. So yes. uh, so so good stuff. All right, so guys, let's take a break here. We'll uh, we'll get uh, our guy Nigel Barker on the line. Um, and, uh, and talk to him a little bit. As I said, Nigel is a big fashion photographer and a big face uh, on a bunch of television shows, but he's also a Chelsea fan. So, uh, God, you and Grail, you and Nigel can, uh, we, can we talk, may have to can go talk off, shop. Have a separate show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Welcome to Chelsea today. <laughs> All right. All right, guys, you listen to Over the Ball. We'll be right back. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to socceramerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And buy Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com, and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. (laughs) 
But Nigel, hey guys, what's happening? Welcome to back to over the ball. Uh, joining us now on OTB, he uh, he was a male model, a lot like Grail Hallett uh, in the days <laughs> back, you know. But look, it, Nigel, going over your resume, man, it's huge. Uh, but thanks God, for a, starting with I, I was a male model. It wasn't well. <laughs> Thank look, you. I hung out with That's you, dude. That's the best intro I've ever had. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, looks like he uh, could be. A lot of us can't say that we were former male models. That, uh, that I'd opened with that and everything, but. Uh, obviously, Nigel, internationally renowned as a photographer, uh, you opened up your studio in New York in 1996. All those seasons on America's uh, Next Top Model, man, which I'm sure there's a book there kicking around in your head. Uh, really popular show with football fans, I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, but no, well, come on, we'll get to the football part. And then um, your latest show is Top Photographer. But, I, you know, I was talking about it in the opening You've started a furniture line, NB1, NB2, the collection. And then you're like, you know, you're one of the uh, founders and partners in the hip, cool uh, New York City gym, the Dog Pound. So anybody who's in New York City knows that that's like, you know, actually where all the models and actors hang out. So uh, so welcome to the show, Nigel Barker. How are you, man? Thank you very much. Amazing. I, I love the XTC play off someone's iPhone intro. I mean, exactly. wasn't that high tech? <laughs> Every time I go for a walk with the dog, that's playing in my head. We're only making plans for Nigel. It's just my theme tune. By the way, everyone out there, you need a theme tune. Just saying. Everyone needs their own theme tune. Uh, I think grills are, these boots were made for walking, maybe by Nancy Sinatra. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that means. Anyway, say, hey, Nigel. So it's interesting. I don't know if you remember this, but the first time we met, uh, you had the English accent, you know, I'm like, and I, I, I looked at you and I go, thank God oh. I had the English accent. I'm actually from Detroit, eight mile. And that's, you know, I found <laughs> the accent works for me. Done every... well. Oh, well, that's like Madonna. She spent, yeah. you know, six months in England. Suddenly she had the accent. So she was my neighbor. Um, I have a story all about that. We can go oh, there. Oh, see, this is the good stuff. This is, this is what we got to get to. But the first time I met you, uh, we started talking football a little bit and I looked at you. I'm like, oh, fat former model, fashion photographer. I go, you're an Arsenal fan for sure. And you're like, I'm, I'm Chelsea. I'm fucking Chelsea. <laughs> so, and then you said you do a shitty Chelsea accent. I'm like, all right, I don't know what one is. Um, <laughs> but you grew up in Chelsea, didn't you, Nigel? Talk I did. a little bit about your- Yeah, no, your, Tregunta uh, Road. So right in the heart of Chelsea, uh, right off the Fulham Road. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so not far from Stamford Bridge. And, and, and you know, just, I remember Viali, he owned a restaurant um, right around the corner for me called Friends, a pizza restaurant. And you could go in there and you'd see all the players. It was amazing. I mean, it was, yeah, this is when I was a little bit older, you know, obviously this was probably in, in the nineties. So, uh, you know, when he, when he, obviously when Viali was, was sort of really big at Chelsea and what have you, and when Chelsea was really an Italian team, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. Sam, you can comment on that. I mean, Chelsea had a big, you know, he's our Serie A expert, but uh, they had a big Italian connection. I mean, one of the first, right. To, to really embrace a lot of Italian players. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, and just, I guess for, for English football too, just to really add a completely different flavor to it. I mean, it, it was, this a, this is a sort of a, such a, it was such a national brand and it was so English for so long. And then I feel that, it was hard for a lot of the fans too. And it was, that was sort of the, I, for a lot of them, they they felt like they were being betrayed, but then the Italians were so good. Right. <laughs> yeah. And they were so kind of like warm and embraced England and what have you that in, in, in the end, people were like, no, I'm Italian too. I want to yeah, be yeah, Italian, yeah. <laughs> you know? So it kind of worked, you know? 
And that was in the long hairstyle back then. And like, you know, yeah, the Italian guy will make love to you. Yes, I'm an Italian lover. It's, it's all good. So, uh, but you made the so mullet I, sexy. They, they, you know, know. they, they brought the mullet and, and it was like, you know, business on top, party on the bottom. <laughs> fashion statement ever since, by the way. I'm not oh, exactly. That, that and junior hockey players that would, uh, would have brought the mullet in there. I don't know if it was ever in style, the mullet. Oh my God, looking back. Um, but you've seen the game change, obviously, because like, I, I think probably when you were growing up, it was, uh, I mean, they were having like, were they having the, the hooligan problem back then? Because games were in the day, midweek, and who can go to those games I mean, other than people who are unemployed, right? No, no, I mean, the hooligan issue has always been a massive problem, you know, in, in soccer, in football in general, right? And that and certainly when I'm growing up as a kid, it was scary. I mean, to some extent, I remember my dad yeah. just, you know, wanted to take me to a football game. And, you know, actually, when I grew up as a, as a young boy, I was actually a West Ham supporter. <laughs> Hammers, <laughs> because my brothers were all Chelsea, and I was just wanted to be different, and I wanted to be. <laughs> and I was like, oh, West Ham, you know, I like the colours, I like the blue and the uh, whatever. And you oh, know, now your fashion sense was coming. It was coming it to was fruition coming right through, then. The creativity, it was, yeah. It was like my brothers were like, "Oh, for God's sake, who cares about the colour of that?" But I'm like, "No, no, I like it." But they were like, "It's the worst colours ever." Now I sort of think I look back and I'm like, "It really was a weird combo of colours." It was dodgy. Sort of, yeah, well, really, it's like a little bit dodgy. But anyway, I was trying to be obstinate but you know yeah no look hooliganism was an issue and it always has been and i remember my dad just sort of saying look I, i've got to come with you I, we can't i can't let my boys go by themselves because he was scared you right. know so you know this was that kind of ruined the, the game for a minute there but i think it also woke people up to okay you know we've got to make some fundamental changes and you know and if this sport's going to really be a world sport because back then it really wasn't like the u.s weren't really playing it in any, in any right. shape or form and they especially if you watched grail and i play yeah we weren't playing <laughs> <laughs> so uh, sam did you want to yeah, follow up yeah touching on a few things you mentioned nigel i'm curious what your take is on how you know soccer clubs have almost become these lifestyle brands now talking about you know local fans being betrayed the game becoming more international uh and just you know from your angle in fashion what that what that's been like to see well, it, it's it's really quite unique. I mean, if you look at brands, I mean, just let's look at Chelsea Football Club, for example, and, you know, obviously the game against Porto and you know, just the way they've handled it since then, the press that they've done, the international press that they've done, how, you know, I've got my my nephew and my niece who are in Alabama in the US who are you know watching the game live and, and they're they're all in you know they've got their shirts and the whole thing like that con that concept that a sort of a, a you know Chelsea football club could be big in Alabama and have fans all over right. the world in Hong Kong all the rest of it, they become these global brands and phenomenon I mean that it was it's a, obviously it's a combination of clearly communication and what we've done with being able to bring football to the world. But, you know, the, the, the brands themselves have merchandise that's available to, to buy so people can be a part of it. You know, before you'd have to go to maybe go to Stanford Bridge, you'd have to be there. You'd have to, it, it said they, it, they've evolved into these, you know, really global kind of forces and, and the personalities too, the teams are these, you know, from all over the world, you know, they're from Nigeria, yeah. they're from, you know, it's Italy, they're from England, they're from Sweden, they're everywhere. And, and so you, you, the world feels that they own, they, you know, they, they could be a part of it, you know? So, and I think before, you know, certainly growing up as a kid myself, it, it, their teams were predominantly English or predominantly right. Italian or, you know, if they were from whatever country they were from. And so you didn't feel that you could belong. 
you know, and, and the, the face of, of soccer is, football has changed. I say soccer. I hate it. My friends yeah. are like, why do you keep calling it soccer? I'm like, <laughs> it's oh, like, I've lived in the US for 24 years. <laughs> and I have nephews in Alabama. See, it's, it's the way, like, oh, the it's way it works. Time. It should be a drinking game. Every time I say soccer, <laughs> we're going to do it. Well, the, the English invented both of those words, English uh, soccer and football. But we have we've bastardized it here. Right? We play a game called football, which barely touches, touches your foot. Uh, but uh, that's the rules. Grail? Uh, Nigel, I'd be remiss if I, as a fellow Chelsea supporter, if I didn't ask you a Chelsea question. So I'm just wondering this season, you know, we're, we're, we're all used to managerial changes. They happen every season practically. I'm just curious where you're, you are in terms of your head on where we were during the Frank Lampard era and where we are now during the Thomas Tuchel era. Oh, you're going era. deep on his knowledge here. Yeah. You're hitting. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that the, the reality is, is that teams have to kind of figure out, you know, how to play as a team and with the managers is are clearly important. And, and, you know, that, you know, you look at, regardless of whether it's Chelsea, you look at any of the big teams, the, the, the manager, if the wrong manager is in, in place, the, the effect it can have on the team is can be catastrophic, even with really great players. You know, it can they, the, the the personalities and the politics and and the, and the way that the whole team resonates. But you know, ultimately, you know, for me, I mean, I'm not there. I'm not in the. I'm not in the in the sort of the weeds. I'm not in the day to day. And that's really, I think, where these managers have to really bring a team together and, and figure it out. And you know, it's it's not all about winning. It's a lot, a lot of it is, is about playing and playing together and, and sort of understanding what that means. And if a manager can bring that through, it's very hard today, I think, because there's so much emphasis on the money and the, you know, and the, the, the big business that's behind football. And I think that that, you know, gets, gets in the way with a lot of the managers too. And I think mm -hmm. that, that is a big difference between sort of back how it used to be in the day where it was more parochial than it is today. You know, I think that affects the managers in a large way. Well, just a quick follow up on that. Don't you feel that sometimes owners like Abramovich or whoever it is, don't understand that the supporters actually, I'll speak for myself, actually like losing, not that I want to lose, but I'm willing to lose. If I think we have the right person in the job, I am willing to, to grow with that person as opposed to making just a switch right away. And I just feel like that's lost between the owner and the uh, the supporters. No, I mean I think that's the the, the sort of the, the long the, the most common problem of all. Actually, I mean I think you see it. That's been going on for certainly the past 15, 15 years at least, where the owners come in and you know it's a quick change, flip this person, flip that person out. And you're like, well, can we just not give them a little bit more of a chance. I mean, what how you know what happened? If, okay, that didn't go exactly as planned at that moment, or and it's because the next person who comes in, I mean, the fear that they have, the sort of yeah. the sort of the sheer kind of you know the terror of what something goes wrong or if this doesn't work or that so you know that's not a good way to play and it's not a right. good you know it's not how you yeah. bring your kids up to play and it's certainly with that kind of fear that you're going to be swapped out replaced at any moment and if you do it's not it takes away from the game itself and i think that's one of the things that we have to get back to the the reason why my dad wanted to take me to a football game in the first place you know and is not just to have a you know a day out with his boys but also to you know what is it it's, it's, it's sort of teaching them team spirit and everything else and what it means, you know, to, to watch people at the best of their abilities out there performing and, you know, and, and sort of representing the country and the area and all the rest of it. You know, sometimes it gets taken away, all of that.
Yeah, that seems to be going away a little bit. And it seems to be like what you were talking about earlier about money. There's a lot of money now. And we've talked about this before on the show about how managers now generally tend to be like psychiatrists where you're handling all these multimillionaire guys who are under 25 many times. Um, and then you talk about not being given a, a, a long enough period of time to build a team. Abramovich seems to be that's, that's his sort of MO. Uh, I think what was different about this last one because um, like to, to go back to your point, Nigel, it, it took Klopp a couple seasons to get that Liverpool team up and running the way he wanted it to. But what I thought was different about the Lampard situation was here's you have a, a Chelsea hero uh, was not even given a year. So to me, that says one of two things. Either it was really bad in the locker room or Abramovich just pulled the trigger too fast. But um, something really must have been happening, uh, you know, in that locker room because, uh, to to get rid of Frank Lampard halfway through the season, uh, a Chelsea legend is just you know beyond me. No, Guys, it's a mess, and, and, it, and it pisses yeah. off the fans no end. I mean, I think that's the other thing. I mean, it's you know they and, and that that weird sense that whatever that that vibe. It's hard to put your finger on it, right? But that vibe, if it, when you're when you're playing, I can only imagine you can feel it. You know, you can feel it around you. You can feel it from from the actual, you know, from the fans around you when they're upset and they're pissed off and they're not singing or they're not, you know, they're not performing. And of course, right now in the pandemic, no one's even there, right? So you've got, you know, they, they, they all they're getting is like hate mail or comments in their in their Instagram, you know, and what have you. But it's it, it, it can be thick. I mean, and also the streets, the streets of Chelsea or the streets of Liverpool, the streets of Manchester or, or wherever these teams are, they feel it. They feel it in the pubs. They feel it. People are talking about it. It's everywhere. So. All right. So let me do a segue to get to what I really want to talk about today. Uh, you know, a lot of these footballers always have models as girlfriends. So let's talk about models now. Well, first of all, let's hear your story about Madonna. She was your next door neighbor. Well, so yeah, funny little story. I, I lived, obviously, it was in Chelsea, Trigunta Road. Number 18 Trigunta Road is where I had an apartment, a flat, we call them, for years. And, you know, we, there was a, a knock on the door, and this probably was about, 97 i reckon it must have been mm -hmm. i think and um we you know we went down to open the door and outside was this sort of w w woman who i immediately recognized but thought no this isn't that no, no, no. you know and she was like hi um i just moved in next door um I, can you tell me where the local um is, is there a local store near here or do you have i'm looking to buy milk and i'm like oh Wait, give, give me one moment. Ran as fast as I could. I went, Hugo's my flat man. Madonna is downstairs asking for milk. And he's like, what he should no, no. And he was like in his boxer shorts. And he was like, he came running down the stairs and his like Y fronts. He was like, oh, it's Madonna. Madonna milk. asking for milk. And he was like, yeah, asking for, I mean, dude bonkers right she was and she ended up being our next door neighbor i mean it was so it, which a poor thing is she I don't oh know she, she knew thinking. you guys were male models couple of male models sharing a flat she was probably knocking on your door there but, hello <laughs> asking for my new my new music video shaken, not stirred. i don't know really i'm shaking the meat stirred and there you go so well then uh and then she suddenly had the the uh the accent there so she got it from Nigel know, transatlantic accent was all kind of strange wasn't it a little bit yeah. well we used know. to give shit to john harks john harks went over there and spent some time you know a few 
places he played, right, Grail? But uh, yeah, he came back he with the accent. Coventry, didn't he? And maybe, uh, did he do a stint at Fulham or where? I thought he was at a London club at one point. Yeah, yeah I think he was at Fulham. But, he, yeah. you know, he had the uh, the accent and I'm like, oh my God, come on. He he dropped it soon thereafter. So did Friedel. Friedel picked up the the accent. It seems like with the English, the accent gets just gets less and it's it's not even you almost sound australian after living here long enough uh, God, don't say that oh, geez, I know. the worst thing an englishman could possibly hear knock me down it's like well, you know i really well i'm irish that. i'm hello, irish bruce. That's, hello bruce hello bruce yeah. that's where you sent all the prisoners and that's how my family wound up say, there what, it's like it's like the penal colony What's <laughs> exactly hey so so talk a little bit about your modeling career i know you you know uh you know we, we're friends we've hung out before and you would tell an interesting story about how you know, when you were modeling, um, you it was sort of, uh, you know, sort of bigger, beefier sort of models. And then all of a sudden the Kate Moss thing hit. And, you know, you were modeling with Naomi Campbell, with uh, with uh, uh, sure. Cindy Crawford, um, all former girlfriends of mine. But, you know, talk about it. Uh, yeah. And, and by the way, you know, this this you, you talk you, 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 so you asked me this question as if. This was yesterday, and meanwhile, I have <laughs> oh, to. We're all cut, living in the glory years. We the cobwebs off of my brain to even get back to that. I don't know if it's your alcohol-infested time. Uh, I don't know if it's your brain you have to ago, dust off. Nigel. It's not as brainy as the. You know, back off. back when I used to be able to knock my hair off my shoulders and what oh, have you. I mean, you're um, talking to David Niven here. <laughs> yeah, no, for goodness, for goodness sakes. I mean, this was, I was a male model in the late 80s, early 90s, all right? So Oof. just to put some perspective on it. Um, but yeah, no, it was a completely different era. I mean, you know, the, the 80s were, was the sort of the era of the glam, you know, supermodel. It was the era of the supermodel. It was the Claudia Schiffer, Naomi Campbell, Christy Turlington, you know, moment. And I, I got to work with them and do shows with them and, and, you know, do advertising campaigns in that moment. And it was very special. You know, you, Linda Evangelista came out with that comment, I don't get out of bed for less than $10,000, you know, which wow. by the way, they don't even pay models $10,000 a day half the time now, right? So, I'd pay her 10,000 to go to bed with her. That would be see well, the difference. You know, it would be the, the that's reverse. That's a different thing. Yeah, <laughs> reverse that osmosis. Right there. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then comes along you know, someone like, you know, Kate Moss, who was the waif androgynous sort of model who brought in this era of the heroin chic look um which is we all know is not much chic about heroin or looking right. that way that's for sure yeah. um but um you know i i I'm, i am a big guy i'm six four and you know i've always i used to play rugby and you know so i was a well-built guy too and it just I clearly wasn't going to be an androgynous heroin chic model. So um, I, I kind of realized, uh, what do I do now? Um, so I thought, well, like, you know, maybe I'll shift from one side of the camera to the other. And I, I didn't want to give up sort of six, seven years of success in an industry that I had learned. And by the way, you know, I didn't go to college. So that was like, this was my education. Right. Um, and, and, and I had all these great connections. And so I kind of made that switch and by mid 90s as you mentioned at the beginning i had become a photographer in 96 i moved to um, new york in 98 i opened my studio very nice you know you talk about you know the immersion you have as a model but i think a lot of times uh you know it's almost like being a player you're playing on a team but certain players have an eye for management um you, you can kind of a couple guys i played with uh, nick o'shea mike noonan their head coaches at different places you could tell they were going to be a coach so did you feel that that business savvy sense like sort of like geez we should ask this to the agents and this is wrong with this business and all the things you learned in the six years as, as a model yeah no it's interesting actually you should say that because that's literally the approach i took was the fact that i i looked at photographers and i thought to myself okay there are people out there who simply shoot and are hired to shoot 
But then there are businessmen who are photographers who right. look for every other opportunity around the shoot. In other words, they opened their own photo studios and then rented the studios out to other photographers. There was a guy out there, for example, called Peter Arnell, who I sort of clocked very early on in New York. One of the things he did that was very interesting is that he bought the real estate on in the billboard real estate up and down Houston Street, which separates Soho, right, from, um, I guess, whatever the other, the other side is NoHo or whatever no it ho, is, yeah. right? And, um, but that sort of thoroughfare, if you like, was became the most cool hit place for all the shopping and things. Maybe it was just luck. I think he was probably just brilliant. But what he did was, if you wanted to advertise on there, you had to buy the advertising space off him and he would only give it to you if he shot the, the, the actual campaign. So wow. all the campaigns for Donna Karen and this, that, and everything else, and everyone wanted to advertise there. And he was, you know, good, but he used a lot of Photoshop, a lot of stuff, and, you know, like he would create this stuff. And my wife actually was a model too, used to work for him a lot. So I got to, to know him, but it was all business. It was like, I'm going to own the, you know, the billboards. And if, and that's how I'm going to advertise, that's how people are going to book me because they're going to want to use me. And he would also hire other photographers to shoot jobs that he didn't want to do. And it would be under the, his, well, so you had a team of people working for him, mm -hmm. right? And then you got people like Fabrizio Ferri, who was a big photographer as well, who opened these photo studios in Milan, in New York, but he also then went on and bought an island okay off the italian coast which nice. became like the ultimate destination for international modeling fashion shoots uh, and then he bought check this out an airline right where he would fly his everyone down there and it so this guy was like and then he had his own clothing line right so right. he's like yeah, yeah, everything yeah. it was like all these yeah. things and i'm like thinking i get it i see you know, you're, you've got your own gig, you've got your own job, you're in your own creative agency, your own market. So you, you become it all versus sitting there waiting for a job and someone saying, I'd like you to shoot. You are the job creator. So you're right. giving yourself work. Uh, that was so that was the way I handled it. And my very first move was to actually get myself a photo studio in the meatpacking district way before anyone was even in the meatpacking district, mostly because it was the only place I could afford to be. Right, it was uh, cheaper back then, yeah. Super cheap. I had to climb over a carcass to get in and right. to my studio and push away, really push away meat. And, and it was, below me was a club called Hell, which was a crazy place where they would have a guy wrapped up in a, in a, a like a rug or a carpet by the bar that you could go in and kick if you ordered a drink. <laughs> and he was, <laughs> you know, there were handcuffs was... hanging from above the bar, and you were like slightly terrified at all times. And uh, my photo with a gag you, ball right up your right up your alley, Grail. Right up, <laughs> right up the alley. I know, literally, right up someone's alley. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, you know, there was the, 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 the my actual photo studio used to be a house of ill repute. And it was divided into little rooms and actually had the sliding open door where you'd look to see who it was. And once we took it and turned it into a photo studio, you know, people would come by and be like, even sometimes men would come by and be like, I thought you were, uh, and I'm like, no, we're not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> anymore. And he's like, you know, and he sees a model walk out and he goes, yes, well, the talent certainly looks a little skinnier than I remember, you know? Yeah, so yeah, you were like, I was like, yeah, no, 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 not happening, you know? Well, so, you know, that's interesting because it's like, look, as a photographer, you're an artist, right? So, you know, with the colors and the creativity and all that stuff. And I think sometimes artists feel like I can't be bothered with the business. And I know from, you know, the stand-up comedy world, 
uh, you know, talking to Billy Burr, Joe Rogan, Dane Cook, these guys turned it into a business. They approached their stand-up comedy as a business where most of us were in it for the lifestyle, for the girls, for the booze, for the travel, all that stuff. And so, you know, it, it seems like you've made that transition, though. You've sort of gone from artist to still an artist, but also an artist with a business sense business savvy or is it really your wife who runs the show let's let's be honest <laughs> I, uh, it's always the wife that runs the show i mean it, it, that, you know happy wife happy life and yeah know, just leave me alone w w please um but let um, me take pictures yeah, yeah i just like to take pictures no i look i think we 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 have both my wife and i have had a dream for a long time and we've been together for 26 years so that gave us enormous um focus you know i think one often spends a lot of time playing the field all too often, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and if you don't do that, and then you focus on the goal, then you've ultimately, you know, that's a lot quicker to get there, you know, versus keep on going left, passing it right, but you know, you, you know, I've got a clear shot right here. And that's how it felt very early on, having this, my, you know, I wasn't out playing the field, I was with my wife and we're like, we're going for this and whatever we need to do to make it happen. And we never said no to it either. Like we, 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 if something came along, we were like, this is our life. It doesn't matter if people think we can't do it. We want to do it. We're going to Good. do it. A great way to live, great way to live life. And, you know, just talking to you now about, it's interesting, uh, you know, an English transplant, you, you're here, you're raising American kids. Now you even have nephews who live in Alabama and they're soccer fans. So it must be nice to see the, the English brand being uh, all over the world. So they're Chelsea fans, huh? You made them Chelsea fans because of you? I'm not sure that I made, yeah, probably. That was probably initially because they kind of got into it. Now they're like even, they're like diehards. I mean, it's just, you know, they, they you know, reserve, you know, the, I guess their seats, they, they go to England and they check it out. I mean, they're all in. I mean, they, you know, they're yeah, yeah. just 100% in on football, you know, so it's on all levels. I mean, they, I think one of my nephews or my brother, my niece um, has become a Man U fan, which is, oh, God but, help her. you know, which I don't even know if that's an English club anymore. But anyway. I know. No, I mean, it's, it's most of the English clubs aren't English clubs anymore. They're American and Russian and everything else. Sam, you had a question? Yeah, um, Nigel, I'm, I'm curious. I know you obviously have a lot of experience with TV and entertainment here in the United States. Uh, I'd just like to get your take on how you think we do broadcasting soccer, because we talk a lot on this show about how we have not quite found a really American way to do it, still really fall back on English voices, you know, Latino voices, etc. Yeah, no, I mean, quite frankly, it's all about how you say goal. I mean, they basically you've got to figure that out you've got to you've got to figure out how you say goal and and if you can get it right the rest is is in the bucket as well we I say goal we say touchdown i know it's just already like so weird what exactly Who? exactly touched it down in, in football what, what touched you, it down what and they don't it touch with, it down exactly just touching yeah. it with your toe or are we touching it with our finger you have that with uh, a cup of tea and a cucumber sandwich or what happened i mean i don't know i mean you know i think look i think you guys it's it's certainly changing here and it, there are some great podcasters and great people involved and you guys are really fun and what you in your the way you talk about it too and it's it's just i think too it's it's the audience as well it's everybody sort of coming in on it and i what i see living upstate new york right now is for example people aren't really playing american football everyone is is playing soccer playing football right. what they're doing so there is a huge groundswell happening and it's only a matter of time where the, the conversation is going to be completely different. Right, right. It, it already is. Grail, you have another follow-up? Yeah, Nigel, a two-part question. First of all, how do you, uh, what do you think of England's chances at the Euros? And on a related matter, um, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate Gareth, Gareth Southgate's 
fashion sense. <laughs> wow, you've nailed uh, down that one. Yeah, you go. What are you going to say about that? Um, <laughs> I, I mean, look. I, I, as far as England's chances, I think we've always got a good chance. You never really. It's what interesting thing about a national team is a national squad is that it's about you still got to be you got to be you got to be a team you got to play together so it's you know, you've got the best teams out there sometimes on paper and they just don't doesn't all match up and I I really feel that you know England has a bit of a curse half the time you know that we mm. we, we kind of, when we get to that position that point we kind of all fall apart despite who we've got there you know playing but I, I hope we pull it together I just as does everyone in England I mean it's always everyone's like this <laughs> but I also feel like the country of England needs to kind of like really also come together for everyone. I know we all want it, but we have to believe. Yeah. Got and they're so believe. damn critical. They're so I'm, damn critical. I'm so into the vibe of it all because I, I see all my, all my friends are all like, just like knowing that it's going to fail at some point. And, and this is an English way, by the way. Yes. The English way is to question themselves at every given moment, at every turn. You know, it's sort of, I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I was I was listening to Chilwell talk about his his goal with Porto, and, and it was just he's so kind of like sort of self-deprecating in the way he sort of accepted his goal. And I'm like, I, I know that other you know people from the rest of the world be like, and then I kicked it, smashed it in, and I did, and not you know, I was so much our physicality was much better than the other team. Yeah, and he was like, oh no, they were so much better than us. I'm surprised we could get you know almost <laughs> be as physical as they could. And I'm like. What? What? Oh, yeah, why, right. Why, why are you surprised? The Portugal, for God's sakes, you're England. I'm like, don't forget where you came from. I'm like, uh, you know, and it's like that's a, that's very English. So the English. Yeah. So I don't know. It's what I think. This is the problem with England, but yeah. um, which is different at a team level because right. they then it's sort of like no, then it's more neighbourhood kind of vibe, and then it's like okay, all bets are off, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but playing for England, it seems to be like a bigger thing, you know. And then as far as fashion sense goes, yeah. Does he have a pocket watch? I'm trying to tell. Yeah. <laughs> Looks like Mr. Rogers. Here. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's go. I, I like. I don't want to be critical about someone's fashion sense because as long as they got some sort of sense of just getting out there and trying and having fun with it, you know, it's interesting. People in in, in sport do you know with their fashion sense, but they do lead the way in many ways. People often will look and sort of say, okay, if they can do that, then maybe I can do that, which can be a good thing. <laughs> and, anyway, and then you go back to England, the team, it seems like there's so much pressure, the papers, everybody does question everything. It's interesting you say that, Nigel, because it seems like sometimes the English team with all that talent, they get out there and they play not to lose. And that's, uh, you know, they're not like the big swing and dicks that like, like a Brazil will play or Germany. So um, we'll see. I've made a prediction here in the show, taking some guff for it, but I think the U.S. is going to win the World Cup before the English do again. So I don't know if you'll be, Nigel, I know, I know. That's, those are fighting words. I got Fighting words, my man, but, um, but probably accurate. <laughs> hey, hey, so but before we go, I, I wanted I want to talk to you about your podcast. I, I took a listen. It's really a, a fun podcast. You actually, um, your production partners with it are Embassy Row, which are the Men in Blazer guys. Um, talk a little bit about your podcast and the the, the great stories that are told. Uh, but we have a lot of fun. One. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's called Shaken and Stirred, the Shaken and Stirred show. And you know, really, that this is why it was such a fun thing to do. I have a great friend of mine called Tom Astor. We went to school together, boarding school. We've known each other since we were 13, you know, played soccer together, played football together and all that kind of thing. And, and it was, you know, you, you grow up with, a, with an old friend and you, as a result, when you're together, as you know, it's like being in a pub <laughs> or a bar, 
yeah, you know, you're kids again as soon as you meet. Doesn't matter how old you are. Right. You know, both of us are almost basically 50 this year. And it, as soon as we're together, we're like we're 13 year old boys again. And so the conversation is hilarious. And, you know, he's also the godfather to my son. I'm the godfather to his daughter. We've known each other, you know, and spent time with each other our entire life. And we always have. And this was a way to cement it because with the pandemic, we couldn't see each other. And we normally go on vacation every year. It was like, okay, how do we have a drink, sit down, chat? And, and, do, and do what we do best, which is just tell stories. And so we decided to create the Shaken and Stir Show. We've had over 47 guests now in the past year. Um, and uh, it's it sort of really kind of taken off with all kinds of fun conversations. And, you know, actually we, we launched a new one today about art and champagne. And we've, you know, we interview everyone from, you know, people from the art world to celebrities to, you know, um, musicians to, you know, people from all aspects of the, you know, the best chefs and all the rest of it. It's hilarious. And it's all done over a cocktail. So, you know, very nice. I love it. And you know, well. the, the, the guests that you have are, are, uh, are really great, you know, and, and they hear the stories and talking about things that you didn't realize they would know about, you know, a musician talking about artwork or something like that. It's just, it's just really cool. It's a really cool, uh, cool listen. So, uh, for all eight of our listeners out there, give, uh, give Nigel's show a listen. Well, Nigel Parker, man, we appreciate you, uh, you're talking to us on Over the Ball, a Chelsea fan. Finally, we've got someone for Grail to commiserate with. Oh, it feels uh, so good. To <laughs> Sometimes this show turns into Chelsea Today uh, <laughs> program. So we appreciate you being on the show, Nigel, and uh, and all the success you've had in television and your furniture line and all the great stuff you're doing. Uh, we appreciate it. And um, hey, come back and talk to us again on Over the Ball. Fantastic. I really appreciate it, guys. All the best, mate. Cheers. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. All right, that was great, guys. A little breath of fresh air there. It's always nice to have a male model and a photographer on. Well, uh, Max Bretos was the last male model we've had on. So that's is this, right. Is this a trend? Or are we going to start becoming a show of male so model many, soccer fans? So many <laughs> soccer players are male models, except <laughs> us, of course. So yeah. well, that was really interesting. I talk, you know, he's, it, it is. It's a great podcast. He's got the, these stories because it's all, you know, from the 80s and 90s that was we remember studio 54 and all that stuff as older yeah. guys sam you won't remember that but uh yeah but it was good it's good to talk to nigel we'll have to talk to him again guy. Yeah. yeah yeah so uh all right what do we got guys what are we watching this weekend uh well we got the classico on saturday uh, yes. a.m. on being sports as we mentioned earlier in the show uh and then this is kind of interesting on sunday 245 fiorentina atalanta city a match is going to be on abc which wow. I think is the first time they've shown a Serie A game. We were, yeah, I know, impressed that uh, Bayern Leipzig was on ESPN on the regular channel, but this, uh, yeah, it's taking it a step further. And they it's did happening. that Bayern match on ABC, Sam, a few weeks ago. Oh, they remember? did. Oh, okay. Yeah, I no, they know. did. They did the um, uh, the Bayern. I can't remember. I can't remember who they were playing, but uh, it was a big game, and it was on ABC. Oh, all right. Um, but what are you uh, watching, Grail? What are you watching this weekend? Uh, I'll be watching El Clasico just because yeah. it'll be really interesting to see if uh, Barca can vault over. Uh, yeah. well, What's the point difference? What's the so point difference? One, one point, Barca's one point behind uh, and, and Real Madrid's two points behind Barca. So uh, so there's a lot on the line here. But they're this without, is going to be a great game. Yeah. Um, the um, Real Madrid has some injuries. But quickly, by the way, on Real Madrid, uh, Zidane must be given credit because he outcoached your, uh, Klopp in that match. Yeah. He, he outcoached. Tony Cruz was getting balls in behind that high line. 
And that was just really good coaching. Uh, that, All right. that, so I'm going to watch good Spurs stuff. Man Spurs Man United just because of the whole Mourinho thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Former Man United coach, current Spurs coach, always makes for interesting. Stuff. Oh, good, good, good weekend of soccer. I'll be watching that classic. Yeah. So uh, it's nice when something's on the line too, and there's not like a big spread between the two teams you know, vying for the, uh, for the league title. So, uh, all right, guys, that's all we got today. That's enough. I would think, yeah. uh, it was great talking to Nigel Barker. I'd like to thank our guest, uh, Nigel Barker, Chelsea fan with uh, Grail Howdy. I don't even know if that's a kind of a Liverpool accent. I don't know. Maybe that's a, <laughs> I don't know what that was. That was a Welsh maybe. I'm not sure. So, all right, everybody. Uh, that's all the time we have today on over the ball for Grail Hallett and Sam Griswold and our special guest, Nigel Barker. Uh, we'll talk to you next time on OTB.